Hello, and welcome to the Rebecca Panepinto Project. Today, I am very excited to host Bernadine Wu. Bernadine is the founder and CEO of Fit for Commerce, which is a business that resulted from her many years of operational and strategic success in helping businesses accelerate their growth through digital. She also co-founded the Innovation Office, which is the retail industry's first ever innovation curation service. Now, Bernadine has an extensive business, finance, technology, and digital experience that is rooted in her time on Wall Street. She also has a very successful history working within the retail and e-commerce industries with several of their leading companies. Prior to entering the online retail space, Bernadine was an executive level consultant on projects that were tied to increasing revenues, restructuring costs, and maximizing organizational efficiency. This was across a variety of different financial institutions, including the New York Stock Exchange. Today, Bernadine is a frequent speaker, writer, and thought leader for the retail industry, and her client work at Fit for Commerce includes Victoria's Secret, Ralph Lauren, Brooks Brothers, Under Armour, Home Depot, CVS, Warner Brothers, U.S. Mint, and hundreds of other small to large B2C, as well as B2B businesses. As you'll see today, Bernadine is an incredibly impressive entrepreneur, and we talk all about the amazing impact she's making at Fit for Commerce. Enjoy the show. Bernadine, welcome to the show today. Thanks so much, Rebecca. I'm super excited to be here. Likewise. I'm glad we finally made it happen. You look great in your office there. <laughs> My fake office. <laughs> I love it. Isn't that what we all live in now, a fake office? Yes. This is my metaverse over here. <laughs> I love it. There you go. Leading the future. Yeah, I was so excited to have this conversation because you recently had an amazing exit. So been running Fit for Commerce. And you're now a part of the Greater OSF Digital, which is an awesome win. Good for you. And I love that you've stayed on board to continue to lead the charge there. That's really cool. Yeah. So let's talk about Fit for Commerce though. Like that's been such an incredible company, incredible impact you've made in the retail industry, but where did it all start? Can you give us a little bit of that background? Oh my gosh, sure. Well, it started 15 years ago when the internet, you know, was relatively new. The word omni-channel was not around uh, and really brands, retailers, merchants, you know, there was, there were these businesses that were really good at their product, at um, marketing to a certain degree or offline marketing and stores were growing, malls were growing. And um, I really saw an opportunity in the market to help uh, these companies with, um, with digital, with understanding what, what is this e-commerce thing? What does digital mean? What does it mean to leverage it in a world where the, the customer is getting more and more digital? You know, the iPhone and, you know, and Android and tablet, uh, tablets were becoming more popular. Online shopping was becoming more popular. So I am definitely my dating myself, but that is, it, that's 15 years ago. And we started out wanting to just be sort of, you know, the help. And so as that grew, we handpicked people throughout the industry, people who've been there, done that. And we, you know, in the early days, I likened it to like, oh, we're the Fantastic Four. And now, you know, it became like the Fantastic 14 and then it became 50. And so now we are, you know, a large enough company that we can help really any size company with their uh, digital journey. Yeah, you came from finance, which is not a super customer centric <laughs> e-commerce space. So I can only imagine like when you saw this retail opportunity, your like eyes lit up and you were like, yeah, let's go. But it sounds like you were you were inventing like as you were going and and learning it on the job. So as you were learning, like tell us about some of those first wins and 
and different parts of retail where you saw you could make an initial impact since digital was so new? Like maybe it was just put up the first website, you know, help somebody think about their business differently. What are some of those first wins that made you realize like we really have something here? Yeah, it's in the beginning, you know, we were sort of all over the place and really going by what help was needed by anyone that that would that would call in. Um, some of my favorite early ones were, uh, a, you know, like Victoria's Secret, well-known brand, of course, you know, now very digital. But in the early days, they had they had a site and they were doing they were doing well. Uh, and what they really needed was how do we get even better? How do we tweak this? But how do we make a material enough impact? And in those days, sometimes people had a lot of technology that was like a little bit spaghetti code or or hard to work with. And so for them, it was a matter of prioritization. And we used customer surveys. We used um, uh, lab-based studies, like think one-way glass mirror, you know, watching someone shop, recording there. We did eye tracking even, which I thought was the coolest thing. You know, we're looking at heat maps of, of the site. And at the level that, that they are at, where you're trading over a billion dollars online, every little thing matters. So let's just say the results were, you know, within three months, double digit millions of dollars of lift in just prioritizing the top three, like three change orders that had a bunch of stuff in it because it was about the prioritization. Now you talk about prioritization and like, that seems so easy and basic, like even in areas of like your personal life, like Obviously what you prioritize is what succeeds, but why is it that these big companies struggle in that area and they really need someone like yourself to be able to come in from an outsider's perspective and, and kind of tell them the obvious, but when they're living <laughs> yeah. in it, they can't see it. Yeah. What do you think that magic yeah. is that like just being distance helps you have a little more clarity? Yeah. I mean, I love where you started, like in our own lives, sometimes like we, if we step back and we think about what our priorities are, of course we know them, but how are they in practice, right? Now you add that you have multiple managers, multiple teams, multiple locations, global, et cetera, and, and, and market forces going on too. And I think that, um, you know, there is value to um, having an outsider who knows your industry, knows the the topics gets to know you specifically and helps you prioritize. And th you know, that should happen at every level. So whether you actually, whether you use consultants or not, I think every company should be doing this quarterly. And then what are the implications within my team? It might, it might be moving budget somewhere. It might be hiring different people. It might be retooling. It might be di different technologies, re-engineering processes and so on. Clearly something I need to do in my life too. <laughs> I feel like we all have a, a growth element of that, <laughs> but you make a good point when you add all these layers of management and other people who have their own human things going on and, you know, maybe just are not pushing it in every single area, every single day, there can be things that fall and, and maybe the easy thing is prioritized and not the highest revenue generating thing. And so you need almost like a coach and somebody to come alongside yeah. and and help put things. You use this term that I love that literally makes me think of a coach, which is playbook. And mm -hmm. like, that has been a huge thing for your business is like just helping companies create and use a playbook. 
Can you tell yeah. us more about how that came about and like what a good playbook even looks like? I do think it's important to think about playbooks, whether they're small playbooks or really big ones. And like one of my, my favorites was at Under Armour, growing, they're growing globally and they were expanding, let's say the digital program. What's the playbook for when we open up a new region, a new market, what are the things we need to do? Who do we need to involve? How do we do this? What are the templates? Um, what's the hard tactical stuff and what's the soft stuff that we need to do? You know, change management and organizational change and messaging and communication. Um, what are the technical things that we need to do? What are the operational things we need to do? So in some ways, like if you have a roadmap going, going on, you know, we talked about that just now, how do you make that roadmap into a playbook that's repeatable? And then you might have different versions of it, right? You might have a different version for by region or by group. But I think there are certain elements about each playbook that, that are important. When it comes to the playbook, though, where do you see the hesitancy and the roadblocks of people like being on board and implementing it? Is it, you know, some people are like, yeah, playbook, I love this, let's go. And other people are like, ah, I don't play by any rules. Is, is it the people piece? Is it the change management piece? Or is it just like, just helping people get started? Where do you usually find like you're up against the first roadblock to be able to really get it rolling? Yeah, I mean, in a way it's all of the above, right? And and I think when it comes to change, if you take that notion and think through the playbook about, okay, what's in it for each group? How is this gonna change? You know, it's sort of being benefits driven. Um, then, then I think it becomes clear. But the mistake I often see is that people kind of, yeah, we know we need to do that, but they wait till the end. Oh, we'll just do some training. <laughs> you know, yeah. we'll just have a few sessions, you know? It actually starts way earlier in the planning stage. And it's sort of obvious that if you involve people in the planning stage, even if you don't take everything that they want to do in, you know, you, you they will feel, um, a, they will feel much more part of the process. B, you will probably get some good feedback and ideas. C, throughout the process, you'll be able to pressure test some of the things that you're changing. No, that's good. And I think I take it from a sales perspective, like making them the hero elicits some form of a response. Yeah. And the earlier you're wider and deeper, the better, because there'll be situations where you're like rolling and you think you're about to make this person an absolute hero and they didn't talk to XYZ and that <laughs> right. person gets involved and then it's dead. And then exactly. their dreams are shattered and they're deflated. And it's just like, you gotta, as much as you can have a wider audience to at least have some buy-in and understand like who's the hero, why they're their hero and like really what that, yeah. that golden outcome, you know, is gonna And be sometimes that, that golden outcome, you think you know what that golden outcome is because let's say you're the executive that, you know, is doing this re-engineering process or, or you're the CIO that is implementing the system or, or you're the marketing, you know, lead who's changing the marketing strategy, but actually like that golden point is not necessarily shared or it just might not be the same thing at a different level. And yeah. so, you know, someone might be focused on total revenue um, but this person over here, he's really responsible, he or she is really responsible for, um, you know, increasing uh, average order value. Mm -hmm. He's important, 
part of the KPI, right, leads leads to the bigger KPI. Um, but it's worth talking to him or her about like, okay, how does your world operate and what's success to you? Yeah, that's good. Gets them more invested in, in your side of the story too. Yeah. And there's there's more of a back and forth versus just a ah, they'll catch up. Ah, yeah, exactly. Work that way. Yeah. And I know it sounds like motherhood and apple pie, you know, like as as we say this, as this like mm-hmm. these words come out of my mouth, it's like who who would be like, who would disagree? Mm-hmm. But it's in the how you're doing it that mm-hmm. that we often see the need. Yeah. So when it comes to the new frontier of tech, you were talking about like stuff is snowballing, moving fast, you know, all of a sudden now like Web3 and NFTs are the new next thing. How do you stay ahead and on top of that and even encourage your customers like to, yes, be ahead of it, be sticking with the trends, but also maybe not go too far ahead like we saw with Facebook and the metaverse, just like people aren't there yet. What's your guidance to customers of like, here's a new frontier of tech, but here's yeah. how you kind of take it bite by bite, step by step. Frontier tech, you know, in the in, in the innovation space is going to become best practices, just like just like selling stuff on social media. Yeah. No one was sure whether we'd be able to sell stuff through social media, you know, but sure enough, we can we can see something and buy it and not have been like bumped out to a website, you know, through mm-hmm. TikTok or or Insta or whatever. Mm-hmm. So in the frontier tech space, you know, I think. I hear what you're like, I hear what you're saying about metaverse. I think, and by the way, I think of metaverse as like the, the digital world, not as just how Facebook is defining it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, I do think that certain brands, if it is appropriate, um, should be experimenting with the metaverse. Uh, we have a client Claire's, uh, Mm -hmm. who is a, um, uh, generally like a tween and, and a younger girls um, accessories retailer, mall-based, and they're experimenting with Roblox. And so mm-hmm. we see it like any kind of gamification. We see um, we see that as appropriate for, you know, someone being in, in uh, Roblox. Um, doesn't mean it's for everybody. Uh, same thing with NFTs. If you're a brand and you're very brand centric, of course, you see the Nikes and the Adidas and the Pumas and so on. Like, if you want to keep emphasizing your brand, um, the meta, the N- NFTs is a place to play. Uh, it is certainly brand centric. Would I put a ton of budget in it right now? No. Um, but we are also starting to see. Um, I met a great entrepreneur, Guan Yip, the other day, and he runs uh, Core 3D, and they take. Um, they can create a, like, let's take a, a community voting platform mm-hmm. to choose an NFT, and then you can order and print that NFT onto nice apparel, like not oh, just cool. sweatshirts and t-shirts, but like actually really nice, you know, like collared shirts and so on. And so now, now we're going virtual NFT <laughs> into physical. And they're having some, uh, they're having some success with that, but it's because it's community based, yeah. right? It's a community voting into the physical. Yeah, no, I realize there's something to pay attention to with NFTs just recently because I run obstacle course races, races on the regular with Spartan is my brand. Mm-hmm. And Spartan's always been like, our plan is to get millions of people off the couch and like very much anti-video game, get you, you know, outside into nature. And then their most recent pass, they called in the unbreakable pass, 
came with an NFT. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, if they are like the ones that are anti-gaming, anti like, you know, being in the metaverse, but yet they're like, oh, it actually makes sense for our past to have an NFT. You're like, right. oh, okay. Probably a little something to this. So I was dying laughing. That's my first NFT. I'm like, cool, great. Uh, I didn't buy it for the NFT, but I was like, hey, that's that's gravy. Call it good. But I was like, that means there's something to this. Like yeah. if they see it's worth dabbling in and starting to invest in, then got to pay attention. Maybe this trend towards sustainability, like I don't, I don't know if it's tied to that, but you know, there's, there's a certain amount of entertainment and, and, you know, like that, that shopping rush that mm -hmm. you get when you, you find that treasure, um, that, that pulls people towards, uh, towards NFTs. Um, we're definitely seeing back to that omnichannel retail index, you know, we're seeing a lot of investment in sustainability. Um, there's, let's see, there's like 67% of the, yeah, the index promoted sustainability products or programs. Um, wow. but I think we also have to be careful about what, you know, what's called greenwashing, which is putting all this messaging out about sustainability, but not really creating sustainable change or having real sustainability programs, you know, within, within a company. I'm, I am a, uh, pre-loved <laughs> goods shopper. I've, I've always okay. been, had not heard it called pre-loved before. Uh, but you know, apparently you can, you know, you can go to the REI site and, uh, the Patagonia site and you can buy used Patagonia uh, products, you know, on, on their site. And I think they're, I mean, Patagonia has always been ahead of the curve and they're, they're taking a particular view that says we, we are, we will put, you know, we don't need to sell more stuff, new stuff. We want to sell our brand and we want to serve the customer. REI is of course, multi-brand. Uh, they're using a technology called Trove where they are, um, this technology helps them create that re-commerce service and cycle where you can send in your used pre-loved products and they will help you you know take pictures put it up on the site sell it send it and handle all the logistics and and payments and so on too that's only going to enhance the expectation around quality product too like the more a brand can resell and reuse you know, their quality skis or jackets or whatever exactly. means it's a premium brand and they, they've done a good job in the initial creation of the product. So I like that kind of, you know, almost like internal validation and, and just push to create a better product when there's this incentive that it continues to live on from consumer to consumer. I think it could only benefit us all. Yeah, it's a little, you know, my eyebrows go up when I see like H&M or, you know, some of these fast fashion companies launching their e-commerce program. It's like, oh, great. I can buy this well, $10 item for $4 or $3, but really like, you know, I, I'm not so sure about that. I feel like that is a marketing play. Yeah. Now you mentioned mindset. So I want to switch gears a little bit around that because you talk about mindset in the context of like your consumers and, and your customers and the folks that you're doing business with and helping drive digital. But what about you? What about Bernadine Incorporate, Incorporated and your business? Like, 
where have you worked on mindset and, and focus your time and energy to have this level of success you've been able to with even this most recent exit? Well, thanks for even putting it that way as if it was very intentional, <laughs> but who knows? I guess, I guess, you know, there are definitely some lessons learned and guiding principles that have held true um, throughout the years. I think that my personality and the kind of business that we created um, is a service business. You know, we, we call it the help. And I think that for, for me and, and, and in all my roles, I've had executive roles uh, on Wall Street in, in consulting and so on. But I think I always gravitated towards the being in a service role. And so, um, you know, I do believe in service-oriented leadership. Um, I do believe that we're here to help each other. You know, that is, a, you know, that's a human trait or that's a human thing to lean into. And, and boy, could we use it even more now. Yeah. Um, and so I think I tend to come at things from a service perspective. There are a lot of, there are, you know, friends of mine that are really product-minded. They're really brilliant, right, at thinking about, products um, and others that are brilliant at thinking about the technology. Um, but I think where I, I land or I come out of is, is very, very much from a, you know, a service perspective. And I think I've also just been trying to practice more mindfulness and being present to whatever it is, whether it's a conversation or whether it's, you know, my daughter or whether it's a client conversation or a sales conversation. Like, I think that there is, there's a healthiness to it. Mm -hmm. And there's also just a connection. I mean, it's been huge for me recently exploring more meditation and just finding yeah. pause. Um, COVID was a curveball for everybody. And like, I feel like you could feel the people that were overwhelmed by it and scattered by it and the people who could like breathe through it and manage it. And I think as the future of the way we work, changes the people that can find this focus and find this like centering and be service oriented are going to have the upper hand long-term and be able to be more sustainable yeah. in a longer term career without burning themselves out. I often get asked in, um, I'm in a lot of women's organizations and women's forums and women's panels too. And mm -hmm. I often get asked, you know, what, like, if you had to give like one piece of advice, mm -hmm. um, to the young women, um, so really like to, to young people today, you know, what would it be? And one of the things that I often um, say is don't ask, don't get. So, you know, while we're being mindful and all that stuff, it's also, you know, I think that sometimes we don't ask enough for what we need, whether that is like, here's what I need to be successful, or can I have that? Can you give me that order? Can I win that sale? Or, you know, hey, can I get that promotion? Can I have that raise? And uh, often um, maybe people are not as, uh, look, we're all insecure about something. We're all, you know, we're all working on, on something. So sometimes you got to put yourself out there and just, you know, ask for it or demand it or, you know, make sure you get it. So I've got a second part to that question then, ah. <laughs> uh, which is around principles. What would be the core guiding principle that you say that you've lived by to be successful in business? Uh, how do I say this? We're all sort of here to serve a purpose and like find your purpose and find what you're good at and then do it. 
um, I'm kind of with Scott Galloway, you know, Professor Galloway on this, where it's like, it's not, it's too simple to say, follow your passion. Uh, because sometimes you might not be so good at your passion. Um, and maybe your passion can be your hobby. Find out what you're good at and then really lean into it and, and do that. Do that for yourself, do that for your family, for your community, for your company. Um, there's a certain amount of self-awareness that I think, you know, and, and brutal honesty maybe we need to have with ourselves around like, you know, what, what are we good at and therefore what can we contribute and what are we not good at? Um, knowing that is pretty good. Like when's the last time you walked into a manager or a boss and said like, look, I just want to have a conversation with you about what I think I'm good at and what I'm not good at and how we're going to leverage that for the company good, you know, or for my community's good or whatever it is. Yeah. I think you made a good point on the, what you're not good at, especially <laughs> becomes more important when you're an entrepreneur, because then you need to hire for that. But if yes. you have some blind spot and you don't realize like you suck at finance, then like you could be in a world of hurt when that <laughs> yes. comes around. Um, so self-awareness on the not good at yeah. part <laughs> is just as important at what you're good at. It's painful. It's not fun to look at it. It's not fun to have people tell you like you suck at something, but the sooner you can be like, okay, I own it, hire somebody, the better you're going to be on actually being effective and, and making an impact in the world. Exactly. Exactly. Well, this has been great. Bernadine, thanks so much for your time. Oh, this has been great talking to you. I could talk to you for hours, Rebecca. <laughs> Love it. Perfect. That was my goal. Awesome. Well, you're so fabulous. You have a great rest of your week and we wish you all the best at OSF Digital. You too. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks everyone. <laughs>